Before we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, I'd like for us to just think about uh, John chapter 4, just a moment. I believe in divine appointments. And because Jesus was God, and because the Holy Spirit is God, and because the Father is God, then He is sovereign like the Father, like the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I think that when we come to John chapter 4, we're actually looking at a divine appointment. You'll notice as we walk through the book of John that one of the things that Jesus will say over and over again is that I do nothing of my own accord. I only do what the will of the Father is. And so I believe that as we come to John chapter 3 and 4 and of course throughout the book of John, but I'm talking about the interaction with Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the Samaritans in the village of Sychar, his disciples, and then the nobleman. I think each one of those were divine appointments. Now, you don't have to agree with me, but that's kind of where I'm heading. I just want you to realize that as we get into this. And, and therefore, I'm going to make a conclusion at the beginning of a class. And I know that you're never supposed to make the conclusion until the end, but I'm going to begin with the conclusion at the beginning. And that is that I think that each one of us have divine appointments. I believe that as we walk through uh, our, our world today, that there are times that God brings us into contact with certain individuals, that it is a divine appointment, and if we are open to the will of God, and if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us, we can use that to His glory. And with that, I'd like to read uh, a couple of passages. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1. And I'd like for us to look at the last two verses, beginning with verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power, did you hear that? And by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Let me see that, say that again, prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified and you, and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe what God is actually saying in this particular passage through the Apostle Paul is that as we pray for one another, we can pray that God will empower us to do the things that our faith prompts us to do in order that the name of Jesus will be glorified and then ultimately we will be glorified in Jesus. And to me that is just so powerful to think about when we think about divine appointments. That as I have those divine appointments, it's not just Skip Clark speaking, it's through the power of God using me 
through the Holy Spirit to speak to an individual about the wonderful blessings of salvation. And so, with that in mind, we turn back to John chapter 4. And I'm going to read several verses here. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was going, gaining, and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptized was baptized but his disciples who baptized but it was his disciples and when the Lord learned of this he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee now he had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well and it was about the sixth hour. And when a woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. Let's stop just for a moment and pray. Almighty God, I give you praise and glory as we enter into this time of discussion. Father, I pray that you will use me to your glory. Father, help me to say the things that I have prepared to say. And yes, Lord, use the words that I haven't prepared to say, that you would use those words as well. Father, I pray that you will be with each person in this room and that through this that we can have a, a lively discussion and that we can learn much from your holy word. We give you all the praise in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus wanted to make sure that there was no division between him and John the Baptist. And so when the Pharisees heard that Jesus was baptizing more people and having more influence, that more people were going out to him, Jesus decided that it was time for him to leave Judea and go to Galilee. If you'll remember, the reason that he is in Judea is because he had been to uh, the Passover feast. And at the Passover feast in chapter 2, you will notice that he said at the very end that he did not trust himself or entrust himself to those men who believed in him because of miracles. Because he knew the hearts of men. He knew the heart of a man. And so for that reason, he knows that at this particular time, it's, it's the best thing for him to get away so that the Pharisees don't have this added bombshell to separate him and John the Baptist. And so as he makes his way, he comes to the city of, of Sychar. And if you'll notice in verse 4, he says, now he had to go through Samaria. I want, you, I want to introduce a thought just for a moment. You don't have to agree with me, but just think along with me just for a moment. He had to go through Samaria. Not only is that a 
location statement. I believe it's a divine statement. By that I mean he had to go through Samaria because there was a divine appointment of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Yes, it is a location. He had to go through Samaria because he chose not to go the long way. Most people who didn't want, want to go through the Samaritan village of Sychar, they would go the other way and it would be lots longer. But Jesus made the short way. And by location, yes, he had to go through Samaria. But also, he had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment with this woman, a Samaritan woman, who had many problems. And Jesus is not only concerned with those people who are the inside, like Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an insider. He's a Jew. But Jesus is also concerned about the outsider, this Samaritan woman. And if we studied the Bible very long, we know that there's quite a division between Samaritans and Jews. And the reason being, because in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and destroyed or took captive the northern kingdom and moved them into Assyria. And with that, they, those people began to intermarry, and that's what the Samaritans is all about. It is those Jewish people who intermarried and kind of lost their way. And so the Jew looked at the Samaritans as one who really didn't have the Word of God as it was supposed to be from, from God because of the intermarriage of, of these individuals. So because of that, Jesus wanted to make sure that he is a person who not only wants the insider, he also wants the outsider. And I think that would be a, a meaningful thing for each one of us when we think about what, what we are about ourselves. Are we the kind of people who look only to those that we are acquainted with, those who people who look like us, think like us, or are we concerned about those who may not think like us and do not look like us? You guys must be very scary because I haven't had cotton mouth in a long time. And when I stand, you noticed I brought a big bottle this time. I was just going to be prepared. So he comes to Samaria and because he's tired, he stops there. And it's about the sixth hour, meaning noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Some of you have a footnote in your Bible. And that footnote says that those words also can be translated or do not use dishes Samaritans have used. Do any of you have that footnote? Okay. So what we're saying here is that the idea that 
They, the Jews looked at these people as unclean. They would do anything to not have any association with it all. I do not want to be around those individuals, the Jew would say. And this is what astonished this woman, that here this Jewish man would number one speak to a Samaritan, and number two speak to a woman. In fact, we'll notice that when the disciples came back from town, they looked at Jesus and wondered why he was talking to this woman, and they were afraid to even men mention it. In fact, John tells us that they didn't even bring it up. But it was quite a surprise that Jesus was talking to this woman. So Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, what is the gift of God? If you knew the gift of God, I'm going to say that it is salvation. In other words, she's, he is saying, if you had a relationship with me in salvation, if you had a relationship with God as it's supposed to be, you would have known this. And you would have asked for this living water. And so, at this particular point, Jesus is trying to bring her to a higher level of understanding than what she is on the basic idea of this being just material water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from him himself, as he did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? What we notice there is that Jesus is talking on a higher plane, on a spiritual level, and she is talking on a lower level, or what we would say, an everyday level. And what, what Jesus is trying to do is to bring her to that point of understanding. And notice that Jesus is not condemning her. He's helping her to come to an understanding. And I think that when we have those divine appointments that, we can, that, come, we, that come into our life, I think we have to realize that, that that's exactly what we need to be looking for. That there's going to be times that people don't understand completely of what the scriptures are saying. And it's up to us to bring the discussion to a higher level as Jesus did. In other words, to bring it to a point where there's understanding both in the physical and the spiritual. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing at this particular point. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water... Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What he is doing at this particular time, he is talking about something that this... this he's not talking about physical water, but he's talking about eternal life. He's bringing a, a new dimension to this water. This living water. And what we're noticing is that Jesus is bringing the woman to a higher level of understanding. When he says it's welling up to eternal life, I want us to think about eternal life in maybe a different way than we maybe ever have. Or maybe it's just me and I'm wanting to share that with you and you say, well, Skip, that's your opinion. 
I think I'll just stay with what I have in my own mind. But when I think about eternal life, I'm not only thinking about life eternal after we die. I'm thinking about eternal life right here and now. I think there is a quality of life that those of us who have believed in Jesus, those of us who have put him on as the Lord of our life, those of us who allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, we come to a dimension of life that is known as eternal life or a quality of life that's much superior to just life itself. There is a, there is a peace. There is a joy. There is a way of looking at life that is eternal. It's a quality of life rather than something that we have to wait till we die that we experience this eternal life. Now, you can say, Skip, thank you for your information, but I'm going with my, what I want. And that's fine with me. Uh, I love you anyway, even though you're wrong. No, that's not what I want. The woman said to her, said to him, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to the draw water. Well, this is the best thing this woman has ever heard. I don't have to come to the well anymore. I have, uh, I'll have water that I don't have to come to every day to this place. Again, she's not quite understanding where he's leading her, but notice he is leading Notice he is trying to open her eyes to a deeper thought. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Yes. May I say something? Sure. Okay, possibility that she's being sarcastic when she says, give me this water. So he changes the subject. So he changes the subject, okay. All right. Anyone else? Thank you, Jamie. I never thought about it that way. So I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. At this particular point, there is conviction that comes into her heart. Isn't it amazing that the only way that we really come to understand who Jesus is, is we have to admit who we are. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's hard to stand before a group of people and say, I am a sinner. Just try that someday. Stand before a group of people and say, 
I am a sinner. But that's exactly what we have to do when we come to the idea of of any kind of relationship with Jesus because that's the very reason that he died on a cross. Because Skip Clark has sin in his life. And the only way that that sin can be taken away is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin that I might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, for Skip's sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that Skip Clark could become the righteousness of God. Let me tell you, that's hard to admit. It's hard to admit to Wanda. It's hard to admit to you. But that's exactly what the woman at this particular point is coming to. She's coming to the idea. She doesn't know it completely. She doesn't understand in its fullness. But she does understand that because of Jesus, there's a new way of looking at life. They've started a discussion about eternal life. And then Jesus says... Go get your husband. It's like he's saying there, before we talk about eternal life, there's some sin that you need to deal with. He injects her sin into this conversation just as they start talking about eternal life. So, And I think a message to us is before we can get to eternal life, what you're saying, we've, we've got to acknowledge our sin. I think that's what he's doing to her. Amen. Amen. Well said. Anyone else? Okay. I can't quite hear you, but. Okay. Very good. <clears throat> Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our father worshiped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is to be in Jerusalem. There are many commentators that look at this particular discussion that she brings up at this particular point as a diversion. I'm going to disagree with these wonderful scholarly men. And again, uh, It's not that I think I've got some hold on truth, but I have to put, since I'm here and I'm teaching, I have to tell you what I think. And at this particular time, I think because she has been convicted of her sin, she realizes who she is at this particular point. She knows that she wants to do something about it. Here is a prophet who knows everything about her, and she wants to get right with the God that she has worshipped because she's been worshipping at Mount Gerizim for all these years. Even though that she has been in this sinful relationship. Even though she doesn't understand all there is to understand. She's still been worshipping at Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans worship. And so she says at this particular point. You say that I need to go to Jerusalem. I've been going to Mount Gerizim. Where do I need to go Jesus? 
But there is also the idea, and I want to bring it forth, that this is a diversion. Many of the commentators says what she's doing is she's saying, I don't want to really deal with this issue right now. Let's talk about religion. And I suppose that can very well be true. That there are times as we are discussing with people about our our relationship with Jesus, they want to get into some, well, tell me uh, all these other kind of things that we bring up. And I can't think of one right off the top of my head, but maybe you can. But anyway, what we're seeing is that regardless of what it is, whether it's a point of conviction at this particular point or whether she's trying to divert the attention away from herself, I, neither is to say, Jesus declares to her, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, Mount Garrison, or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Wow, that's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? You wouldn't think Jesus would say it quite that direct, would you? You don't know who you're really worshiping. You don't realize that only from the Jews is there salvation. And that's exactly the truth. When you go back and realize that, it even starts with Genesis 3.15 where God talks to the serpent and he said, he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And so what we see is that all through the, New, the Old Testament, it is leading to an understanding of who Jesus is. In fact, the Old Testament uh, scriptures time and time reveal to us many things about who Jesus is. And so, it would be seen, it, Jesus is only speaking what he knows. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now comes when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they are kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's not the place. It's whether you worship in spirit and truth. And so as we come here today there's nothing sacred about this building. There's nothing sacred about this place. The only worship that's going to be appealing to God is if we are truly worshiping in spirit and truth. I think each one of us want to look and evaluate our own selves as we think about this particular passage because I think it's convicting ourselves as well. There comes a time to, that what are, we, what are we here for? Why do we come? And it's only when we allow ourselves to worship in spirit and truth that we truly have left this place and and it's been a wonderful time. It's been a wonderful experience because we have worshipped in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, "I 
I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Notice the knowledge that she has at this particular point. Notice where she has been, and notice where she is, uh, where she is at this particular point in her relationship with Jehovah God. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything. And then Jesus declares, I who speak to you am he. <laughs> what a revelation. What a moment at that particular time that she realizes this is, this is the one. He is the Christ. Now, at this divine appointment, I want us to notice the change that takes place in this person's heart. Immediately, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, notice that's the reason she came. We need to know that uh, you and I can go to the water faucet and we can turn it on and we have water to wash our hands, to bathe with, to cook with, to do the things that we do with water. But in that day and time, you had to go to the well daily. And so she leaves the very thing that she came for and notice what happens. And she went back to her town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. In other words, here is a woman that in all probability this society has looked down upon because of the very fact that she has had five husbands and the, wasn't, and the man that she's living with is not her husband even now, and so there's probably a reputation that she carries with her, but in spite of this, she's so overwhelmed with what she has discovered that she can't help herself, that she wants to tell everybody that she could possibly can, I have found the Christ. Come and see. He told me everything that I have ever done. Can you imagine the excitement that we sometimes need to have when we come into the relationship with Jesus Christ? It's almost like, and I have to, I'm talking to myself as well. I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to myself that there's, a, there's an enthusiasm that this woman has that, that Skip Clark says, wow, let me have that kind of enthusiasm when I'm talking about Jesus. Let me have that kind of relationship that the Holy Spirit is working in and through me, that that can be the way that I look at it. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. All of a sudden now, John is leading us into another way of a divine appointment. And the divine appointment now is with who? The disciples. The very ones who have followed Jesus. And notice as we've come through the book of John... John the Baptist is the one who first says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then we notice how one after another, there is witness after witness after witness that we have found the Christ. And at this particular point, amazing thing has taken place. 
is that Jesus is now going to have this divine appointment with his own disciples. And he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Notice that the disciples are just like the Samaritan woman, just like Nicodemus. They're still thinking on a different plane than Jesus is. Jesus is always trying to bring us to a higher level of thinking. Jesus is always trying to bring us to think not on the here and now, but on something that's much different in our, our life as we begin to experience this spiritual life of walking with Him in the Spirit. And so, He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And this will be a statement that is said over and over and over and over and over and over again in the book of John. And you will be surprised. As we walk through this book, you will come back, how he continually comes back, my will, my will is to do the will of the one who sent me. Do you say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, at this particular point, I think what has happened is we've noticed that all of these Samaritans have come to believe because of the woman's testimony. And they have, because of this, they've gone out to Jesus and began to talk to him even invited him to come into their town for, and him to stay for a couple of days. We're going to notice that in just a minute. But one of the things that is happening at this particular point is that he's trying to say, look at the harvest. Look at what has taken place right now. So many times we have said, and it was a proverb in that day and time, Jesus is saying, in four months we'll have the harvest. He says, no, the harvest is now. The harvest, look at the harvest. The harvest is these Samaritan people. And of course it astonishes the disciples because they too are wondering why in the world are we in the Samaritan village in the first place. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now his harvest, the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. In other words, what he's saying is that there's those who have reaped, those who have sown, and those who have reaped, and now we're seeing that. And I think he's talking about uh, not only himself uh, with the woman and Nicodemus, but also he is talking about the idea of, of bringing it into a relationship with other people as well. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Again, talking about John the Baptist, who has come on the scene, who has been baptizing, and now we are reaping the harvest of something that we have nothing a part of, that we just get to be a part of this wonderful relationship. And so that happens many times in our own life, I think what we need to see is that there's both an opportunity and a challenge here. The opportunity is that we have 
these many times that it's laid right before us and that we are there to open the door for an individual to know Jesus Christ. And also there is the challenge that we realize that we are also the ones who sow the seed. Not only do we reap, but we also sow. So there is a practical application even to ourselves. The next part is where we see not only is he ministering to this woman, not only is he ministering to his disciples, but notice the Samaritans as well. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And he told them everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Now, let me stop here and just put it down to where we really live. I want to challenge each one of us that this next week, I want you to look for the divine appointments that God is bringing into your life. I don't know when, I don't know where, but I don't believe that as we study together that we're just supposed to close our book of the book of John, leave this building and say, wow, we heard a lesson on John. Isn't that great? No, I don't think so. I think there's a challenge for each one of us that if when we leave, and walk into next week that we walk with the idea that God is going to give us a divine appointment. I don't know who that person is. I don't know where it's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to be about. But I know that God continues to bring divine appointments into our life. And if it doesn't happen to you next week, don't be discouraged. Allow it to maybe even take place the next week. Just be open to the idea that God is going to bring a person or persons into my life that I'm not really expecting, that I am to bring the conversation from an everyday level of football, the weather, the, the mountain, whatever it might be. He's wanting us to bring it to another level of spiritual life that people may enjoy this eternal life that Jesus offers. Notice he said, notice it says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days and because of his words, many became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know this, that this man really is the Savior of the world. Isn't it amazing that God will use us to a particular point and then it goes even bigger than that? In other words, with that divine appointment next week or next month or whenever it's going to happen in your life, that they won't believe just because of your testimony of who you know Jesus to be but they will believe because they have met the Savior. There's a beautiful experience that begins to take place in people's life when their eyes are opened and they can say, 
with all of their heart. I don't believe because Skip Clark told me. I believe because I know the Savior myself. He is real, and He is the Savior of the world. Now, what we have, we have the Samaritan woman, we have the disciples, we have all the village of Samaria, I mean, of Sychar, and now, in the middle of this, we have this official son. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Okay, he stayed two days with these people, and he left for Galilee. That was his intended, he was going from Judea, Jerusalem, to Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. In other words, in the past, he's already said this. And, of course, that's where he's from, from the Judean area. And I'm, I have no honor there in the first place. And so, I'm, that's one of the reasons I'm leaving. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. In other words, they had seen all the miracles. And remember that the signs that have been performed are the very things that's going to cause people to believe because of the last couple of chapters in, in John. Unless you people see miraculous signs, excuse me, I went too far. And there was a certain, uh, once more he visited Cana in Galilee, verse 46, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now let's notice what, what, what's happened here. John is trying to tell us something. John the writer. He's telling us that Jesus was in, Gal in uh, Cana before. And when he was there, it was a very joyous occasion. It was an occasion of a wedding, and he turned water into wine. And now he's back in Cana after the, their interaction with the Samaritan woman, with Nicodemus, with his disciples. All of this has taken place, and now he's back, and it's a very desperate situation. It's not joyous, it's horrible. A son is dying, and I need Jesus. And that's when the nobleman comes to him and begins to beg him to come and heal his son. And Jesus says, unless you people are mirac see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. Do you think he said that to this man? It says, Jesus told him. Wow. Wow. Doesn't that kind of shock you? Listen to it again. Unless you people are mir see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. That seems kind of harsh coming from the mouth of Jesus. Does anybody agree with me? Hello? <laughs> it, 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 it just seems like, where did this come from? What's he saying to this man? I think what he's saying to this man is you're looking at it in a different way than I'm looking at it. In other words, I have the ability to speak the word. I don't have to go to your town to take care of your son. 
I can speak the word and he's going to be well. Now that's not what he said to him. But I think what that's implied. Somebody help me. Somebody support me or disagree with me. I'm out here all alone on a log. I'm about to fall off. Somebody help me. Okay, I guess that's not going to help either. (laughs) All right. At this particular point, the royal officer said, Sir, come down before my child dies. In other words, he was repeating it back at him right at this particular point. And he says, there's no way. You just need to come. And Jesus replies, you may go. Your son will live. Now, think about the faith that this man had to have in this next verse. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. I think when we think about how difficult that would be, as a parent, put yourself in this man's shoes. You know that this man can heal. You know that all he has to do is touch your son's body. And everything will be perfect. And yet he says, go home. He's well. And while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his household believed. We're going to end there. And I hope that we end there with this thought. Jesus will speak to you through his word. I'm talking about this. This week. If you will open this up and let it be a daily experience with you to hear what God has to say to you. So many times when we read the Bible, we read it intellectually. We read it because we've read it before. We almost know the next words. But this week, I'd like for you to, before you open this book, whether it's in the morning before as you take your cup of coffee or whether it's at night before you go to bed but just ask the Lord Lord teach me what do you have to say to me and Lord help me to believe that you are speaking to me and that I can at your word believe it Almighty God, thank you for this opportunity that you've given me to relate the book of John. I thank you for this privilege, and I pray many good things will come from this. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. 
like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.